Well, if you have your Bibles today, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible and would like to borrow one, just slip your hand up and one of our ushers will bring one to you. If you're new to this church, I know we have some guests here today because of the dedication. Uh, we like to preach through different books of the Bible, so I have been preaching through the book of Luke. Thomas has just started preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, here in the book of Luke, we're now in Luke chapter 17, and we'll be, be reading verse, verses 20 uh, all the way through verse 37. Luke chapter 17, 20 to 37, and before we read, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for every opportunity to open your word. We pray for your blessings now in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. We believe that we have life in Christ. We believe, Father, that Jesus came to save sinners. We are all sinners. We have all failed to uphold your holy law in many, many ways. But, Lord, we know you are a gracious and compassionate God, sending your son Jesus uh, to bear the punishment that we deserve so that we might have life eternal in Christ Jesus through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for that glorious gospel message. And we just ask now, Father, as we... As we begin to concentrate on this one passage here, that you would bless us. We pray, Father, you would teach us through this. I ask in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would uh, enlighten our hearts, illumine our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we might understand the things that we read here this morning. We thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, There the vultures will gather. Amen. You know, it's common, very common for human beings to be curious about the end of the world. I think most people probably recognize that our world can't continue on forever uh, in its current state anyway, and people think occasionally about the end of the world, what, what it might look like and when it might take place. Uh, lots of people even try to predict the end of the world. Seems like every couple of months or every couple of years, someone is coming up with a new prediction about the end of the world and people are going crazy. In 1910, people predicted that Halley's Comet would bring the end of the world. They said the earth would pass through the tail of the comet and the sky 
skies around earth would then be filled with deadly gases. So people sealed up their chimneys, their windows, their doors. Merchants sold oxygen bottles and comet pills. And some people even committed suicide. And most of you probably remember Harold Camping, who predicted the end of the world would begin on May 21st, 2011. Many of his followers quit their jobs. They sold all of their possessions to spread the word on more than 5,000 billboards around the country. And when the date passed, Camping said that he had miscalculated, and he said a new date five months later, which also turned out to be wrong, and the Mayan calendar predicted the world would end on December 21st, 2012, when supposedly black holes and solar flares and and comets would begin to hit planet Earth and eventually destroy it. Very common for human beings to think about the end of the world, when and how it might happen. And here in this passage, Jesus actually teaches us some things about the end of the world. The end of the world as we know it anyway. Jesus teaches us here about the coming of the kingdom of God. He teaches us when and how the kingdom of God comes on earth and how life on earth as we now know it will ultimately come to an end. Jesus is basically preparing us here for the end of the world. He teaches us three primary things here, I believe, all of them having to do with the coming of the kingdom. And the first thing Jesus teaches us here is this. Number one, the kingdom of God has already come to earth. The kingdom of God has already come to to earth. The, the kingdom of God has already been inaugurated or initiated on this earth. It, it's already here. Luke tells us up in verse 20 that some Pharisees, some Jewish religious leaders, they asked Jesus when the, the kingdom of God would come to earth. And, and that phrase, the kingdom of God, is a very important phrase in the book of Luke. What does that phrase mean? The kingdom of God basically refers to the rule or the reign or the dominion of God. When, when people talk about the kingdom of God in the book of Luke, whether it's Jesus or someone else, they're typically talking about the rule, the reign, the dominion of God. And these Pharisees are asking Jesus when the kingdom of God would come to earth, or when the rule, reign, or dominion of God would come to earth. And why were these Pharisees asking when the kingdom of God would come to earth? Well, because the Old Testament books promised that the kingdom of God would come to earth someday. In, in the Old Testament books, the first 66 books in your Bible, books that were all written well before the events in this, in this passage took place, in those Old Testament books, God promised repeatedly that he would send his kingdom, that his rule, or his reign, or his dominion would one day come to earth in a new and powerful way. Now, in one sense, the kingdom of God has always been on earth. Uh, From creation on, God has always ruled and reigned over everything, a, a sovereign dominion over everything on this earth. But in the Old Testament, God promised repeatedly that his kingdom would one day come to earth in a new and powerful way. And the Jews knew those Old Testament promises, and the Jews in Jesus' day were looking for the kingdom of God to come. And most of the Jews in Jesus' day, they expected the kingdom of God to come in a certain way, a certain manner or fashion. Most first century Jews believed that the kingdom of God would come to earth with this massive display of power and glory. All of these, these amazing cosmic signs, this, this clear and unmistakable thing that they could all see and they would all say, look, there it is, the kingdom of God. 
when the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003, George Bush, you might remember, talked about shock and awe. Well, that is really what the Jewish people in Jesus' day were expecting. They were expecting the kingdom of God to come to earth in this new and powerful way in a shock and awe type of fashion. And most Jews believed that when the kingdom of God finally did come to earth in this new and powerful way, well, God would then instantly destroy all of Israel's enemies for good and God would instantly usher in this in-time age of perfect peace and safety for his people that would last forever. In the minds of most first century Jews, the coming of the kingdom of God to earth would mean the end of the world as they had known it and the beginning of a new world for the people of God. And these Pharisees here They most likely heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. He talked about it all the time. So they approach him here and probably to test Jesus in some way, these Pharisees ask Jesus, so when is it coming? When will the kingdom of God come to earth? And look at his answer again in verse 20. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And I think he's basically saying to the Pharisees, you Pharisees are wrong. You expect the kingdom of God to come to earth in this shock and awe type of fashion. But the kingdom doesn't come in ways that can be observed. And here's the thing, Pharisees. The kingdom of God, it's already here. It's here. The kingdom is actually right now in the midst of you, Jesus says. Or that could also be translated as the kingdom is within your grasp. Pharisees, you can actually right now reach out and touch the kingdom of God. You, you can actually right now see the kingdom of God. And, and, and why was Jesus saying to these Pharisees here that, that, that the kingdom of God was, was now in the midst of them? Well, because he was in the midst of them. You see, Jesus is the eternal king in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus, this this eternal king in the kingdom of God, when he came to earth, when Jesus took on human flesh and he was born as a human human being, when, when the king came to earth, he brought the kingdom of God with him in a new and powerful way. When Jesus was born, the kingdom of God had come in a very new and very powerful way. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. With the birth of Jesus, the kingdom had come. But the, but the kingdom didn't come like the Jews expected. The, the kingdom, it, it didn't come with this massive display of power and glory. The kingdom actually came very softly quietly, silently, no shock and awe, no fanfare, more like a whisper, just a a little baby born in a stable in a backwater town called Bethlehem, and the king was here. (laughs) I love how the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible for Kids puts it. It says this, quote, mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. And as silent as snow falling, he came in when no one was looking in the darkness. He came. End quote. And the king was here. And man, because the king was here, The kingdom of God was now here in a new and powerful way. 
And ever since then, the kingdom of God has been growing. It's been spreading on this earth slowly but steadily. Jesus said in Luke 13 that the kingdom of God was like a little mustard seed that would eventually grow into this huge mustard plant. He said the kingdom of God was like a little leaven that would ultimately spread throughout the entire lump of dough. And that's what the kingdom has been doing ever since the birth of Jesus. The kingdom has been growing and spreading from the king to his 12 disciples. And from 12 to more and more disciples. And spreading to more and more nations. Starting in Jerusalem and spreading to Judea and Samaria. And now spreading out towards the uttermost parts of the earth. More and more people hearing about the king. More and more people entering the kingdom of God through faith in the king. And it all started with the birth of Jesus. He was the mustard seed. He was the little bit of leaven that got the kingdom of God going on this earth. Man, the Pharisees were looking for the kingdom of God out there somewhere. But the kingdom of God was right in front of them. Because the king was right in front of them. They could have reached out and grasped the kingdom. Because they could have reached out and grasped the king. So that's one thing Jesus teaches us here about the coming of the kingdom. One one thing he teaches here about the end of the world as we know it. The kingdom of God has already come to earth. And a second thing Jesus teaches us here, I believe, number two. The kingdom of God will someday come to earth. The kingdom of God will someday come to earth. The kingdom has already come. It's already been inaugurated or initiated on this earth. And it's been growing and spreading. But someday soon the, the, the kingdom will come in, in, its, in its final form. The, the kingdom will soon be consummated or, or concluded on this earth. The Jewish people by and large they expected the kingdom to come all at once. Bang the kingdom's here. That's the end of the old world and the beginning of the new world. But God's plan was that the kingdom would actually come in stages. It would be inaugurated in the first coming of Jesus. And it would be consummated or concluded in the second and final coming of Jesus. And man, man, what will that future consummation of the kingdom of God on earth look like? In what fashion or in what manner will the kingdom of God be consummated on this earth? In a very obvious and a very sudden fashion. You look at verse 22 again. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. But now he turns to his disciples and he says, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Disciples. I think Jesus is just saying, disciples, a time is coming when I will no longer be with you here in flesh and blood. I will ascend back to the Father. And when that happens, you will then desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You will desire to see one of my days. And and Jesus could be saying to his disciples there that after he's gone, after he has ascended into heaven, they would then long to go back in time, back to the days of old when he was still with them. But I don't think he's saying that. I think Jesus is probably saying to his disciples there that after he's gone, after he's ascended into heaven, his disciples will then long for the future. 
They will long for his future return. They will long for his second coming. They will long to see one of the days of the triumphant Son of Man from the book of Daniel. But Jesus says there that they won't see it. Most likely indicating to his disciples there that he will return after they have all died. And Jesus warns them here that people will come to them after he's ascended to heaven. People will come to them and they will say, look there. Look here. I I think that guy might be Jesus over there. Let's go see. And and the same type of stuff happens today. Look look look, Look at the guy over there. Jim Jones. David Koresh. Or any of the other many false Christs in our day. That, 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 that man's a charismatic dude. I mean, he looks like he, he could be working some, some miracles. I think that might be Jesus. Let's go see. And Jesus says to all of his disciples here, don't go. Don't go. Don't waste the time. Don't waste the effort. Don't go. Don't go out or follow them. Because when I do return to this earth a second and final time, my return will be obvious. It will be unmistakable, Jesus is saying. It will be clearly evident to everyone on this planet. My return, Jesus says, will be like lightning that lights up the sky from one side to the other. Everyone on this planet will see it and everyone will then know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has returned. Kent Hughes, Kent Hughes says, quote, his second appearing will be cosmic. His second appearing will be cosmic. Like lots of 24,000 mile long lightning bolts simultaneously ringing the earth. All will see it in the Middle East, in Serbia, in Asia, in China, in Australia, in Europe, in Africa, in the Americas, on all the world's islands, at the North and South Poles. No one will miss it, Kent Hughes says. King Jesus came the first time. And he inaugurated the kingdom of God on this earth very quietly, like a whisper. But Jesus is saying here that King Jesus will come a second time and consummate the kingdom of God on earth in a cosmic display of power and glory, obvious to everyone on the planet But Jesus reminds his disciples there in verse 25 that before he comes again in this power and glory, he must first suffer and be rejected. And that's why Jesus came the first time to to, to suffer and, and, and die for the sin of the world. The king came the first time in humiliation to suffer and die for sin. But the king will come the second time in exaltation. Coming in a cloud with power and great glory, Jesus says in Luke 21, 27, and coming to judge the earth and to reign forever. He experienced the groaning before the glory, the cross before the crown. And that second and final coming of Jesus in power and glory, it won't just be an obvious coming it will also be a very sudden coming. A very unexpected coming. And Jesus knows that lots of people will not be ready. You look at verse 26 again, Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying, being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, 
Fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus draws from two Old Testament stories right there. The story about Noah. The story about Lot. In in both of those Old Testament stories, a very sudden and a very unexpected destruction took place. And on both occasions, lots of people were not ready. In the case of Noah, in Genesis 6, God brought a flood. He saw that the world was wicked. He told Noah to build an ark. It probably took Noah years to build the ark. I'm sure Noah was warning people all that time that a flood was coming. But they didn't believe him. They didn't listen to him. And Noah and his family finally entered the ark. God shut the door and all of a sudden the flood came. The people probably pounded on the outside of the ark, crying out for Noah to open the door of the ark. But Noah couldn't open the door. It was too late. God had sealed them in. And all of them, Jesus says, all of the people outside of the ark, Jesus says, were destroyed by the flood. And in the case of Lot, in Genesis 19, God caused fire and sulfur or brimstone to fall on Sodom, fall from the sky on Sodom. God saw that Sodom, where Lot and his family were living, was very wicked. God told Lot to get out and escape to the hills But Lot lingered there in Sodom, so two angels finally grabbed Lot and his family and forced them to flee from the city to the hills. And all of a sudden, the fire and sulfur fell. And Jesus says again that all of the people were destroyed. Two stories where where a very sudden and a very unexpected destruction took place. And on both occasions, lots of people were not ready. And you know, there's something in those two stories there that that Jesus wants us to catch. Something that, that He wants us to understand. And here it is. When the people in both of those stories were destroyed, they were just doing business as usual. They, they, were, they were just going about their daily lives, the, the normal activities of life in this world. You know, if you go back to the book of Genesis and you read those two stories, it is very clear that the people in those two stories were very wicked people. The book of Genesis says it, very evil unbelievers. But you'll notice that Jesus... He doesn't emphasize their wickedness here. He actually doesn't say a thing about their wickedness. Jesus, he doesn't say here that when the destruction came, the people were committing all kinds of heinous crimes or sins. No, what does Jesus say that the people were doing? Business as usual. They were just going about their daily lives. The normal activities of life in this world. Jesus says that they were eating and drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage. They were buying, selling, planting, building. Business as usual. And the destruction came. Very sudden, very unexpected. And it was all over. It was over. There there were no ominous signs in the skies to let the people know that it was coming. There There were no tornado sirens to let people know floods coming, coming out of the sky. No, no tornado sirens, no, no, no tsunami warnings, nothing. There's actually a very sober verse in the Sodom account, Genesis 19:23. When, when the destruction came to Sodom, 
When, when the destruction came to Sodom, the Bible says this. The sun had risen on the earth that day. And the Lord then rained fire and sulfur on Sodom. It, 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 it wasn't even a cloudy day in Sodom. Not a cloud in the sky, most likely. Nothing there to indicate that destruction was coming. Just, just, just another, another beautiful day on planet Earth. Business as usual. And then it was all over. And, and Jesus, Jesus says here, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So it will be on the day when I am revealed. When I return and come again. Very sudden, very unexpected. Jesus returns, no tornado sirens, no tsunami warnings, just another beautiful day on planet earth. The people on earth just doing business as usual. Eating, drinking, planting, building, marrying, moving, buying, selling, laughing, joking, stock market trades, soccer games, Walking the dog, watching TV, shopping, stuck in traffic, taking out the trash, putting the children to bed. And in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, the king returns in radiant power and glory, coming in a cloud like lightning, And it will suddenly all be over. Life as we now know it will be no more. The world as we now know it will have come to an end. And and Jesus is telling us there that lots of people will not be ready. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says this, The day of the Lord The return of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace and security, peace and security, then sudden sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And that leads us to the third and final thing Jesus teaches us here about the coming of the kingdom, the, the, the final thing he teaches us here about the end of the world as we know it. One, the kingdom of God has already come to earth in its inauguration. Two, the kingdom of God is coming to earth in its consummation. And one final thing Jesus says to us here, I believe, number three, get ready. Get ready. Get ready now for the consummation of the kingdom of God. Get ready now for the return of Christ. And and, and how can you get ready now for the return of Christ? Here's, Here's one way that you can get ready. Make sure right now that your heart is not in love with this present world. Make sure right now that your heart is not in love with the things of this world. Make sure that your heart is not in love with the possessions of this world. Make sure that your heart is not in love with your life in this world. In this fallen present world, look at verse 31 again. Jesus says, on that day, on that day, when Christ returns on that day, let, no, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house 
not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back to get those goods. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. And can, 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 you, see, can you see what Jesus is, is getting at there? He's warning us, I believe. He, he's warning us concerning a love for this present world. A, a, a love for the things and the possessions of this present world. He's warning us concerning a love for our own lives in this present world. When Christ returns to earth, very sudden, very, very unexpected, if our hearts are clinging to the goods in our homes, if our hearts are clinging to the goods in our homes and and He returns and, and, and we want to run down and get those and somehow try to take them with us, If we're standing out in the field when he returns and something in our heart wants to go back and get those goods and somehow try to take them with us. If our hearts are clinging to the things of this present world, clinging to the possessions of this present world, if my heart is clinging to money, if my heart is clinging to my IRA in this life, if my heart is clinging to my home, my lake home, my cars, my clothes, my stuff, if my heart is in love with my own life in this world, clinging to my life in this world, if I'm seeking to preserve my own life in this world, when Christ returns, Jesus says that I will actually lose my life. And what he means there is if you cling to your life on this earth, you will lose eternal life. But if you will let go of your life on this earth and give it to him, you will receive eternal life. Man, if I'm clinging to the stuff of this life, to my own, clinging to my own life in this world, I'll lose my life. Lose eternal life. That's what happened to Lot's wife. Jesus says here, remember Lot's wife. And that is one of the, the shortest And that is one of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible. Remember Lot's wife. So let's remember her here for just a second. What what happened to, to Lot's wife? Well, initially, it looked like Lot's wife would be saved from the fire and sulfur in Sodom. When, when the two angels pushed Lot and his family out of Sodom, Lot's wife left with Lot and all the others. But when the angels pushed them out of Sodom, the angels said this to them in Genesis 19:17: "Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Do not." Look back. And what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. Now listen, she didn't go back. She looked back to Sodom. And she was destroyed. She made it out. And was destroyed when she looked back at it. And why was she destroyed? Because her heart was still in Sodom. Her heart was still there. In Sodom. She was still in love with the things of Sodom. She was still in love with her possessions in Sodom. Her heart was still in love with her own life in Sodom. And man, Jesus, he's very graciously warning us 
right here. I think Jesus is basically saying this to us. When I return to earth, very sudden, very, very unexpected to consummate the kingdom of God on this earth, if your heart, deep down inside, if your heart is still in Sodom, if your heart is still in love with this present world, if your heart's still in love with the things of this fallen world, your heart is in love with the possessions of this fallen world, if your heart is still in love with your own life in this fallen world, you will not make it. You won't make it. It might look on the surface like you're going to escape, like you're a good person who might escape. But you won't. And listen, man, we need to take that seriously. Here in a church service where there are a lot of believers in here because that's going to happen to some professing Christians around the world. And there are, there are lots of people in this world who say they believe in Jesus. But with some of those people, those professing Christians, deep down inside, their hearts are still in Sodom. still in love with this present fallen world. They're still in love with their lives in this present fallen world. They look on the surface like they will escape when Jesus returns. But unless something changes, they won't. When Jesus returns in their hearts, they will look back to Sodom longing to take their junk with them into the kingdom of heaven. And they will lose everything, proving that they never really belonged to Christ. Their hearts never really loved Christ, never really treasured Christ. Their hearts were really still in love with this present world. Jesus says that you can only have one master you can only have one master in this life. You can't have two. You can't say that you're going to follow Jesus and also still cling to the things of this earth. You can have only one master, either Christ or the world. And if your heart is still mastered by the world, then you are not yet saved from the coming destruction. No matter what you say with your mouth. 1 John 2.15 do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or as Jesus says in Luke 14, unless you renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Charles Spurgeon said that Lot's wife was an example of someone who was almost saved, but not quite. And man, what a tragedy. Because when Christ returns, He will judge every human being, and His judgment will be swift and severe on all who are still in love with this present world and not truly trusting in and loving Him. And, and Jesus gives us a snapshot of the future judgment here in this passage. If you look at verse 34 again, snapshot of future judgment here, Jesus says, I tell you, in that night, in the night when Christ returns, in that day, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And the disciples said to him, where, Lord? And he said, to them where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And the judgment on the day when Christ returns, the, the, the judgment will divide even between husband and wife lying in the same bed together. It will divide between two workers who are grinding grain together. In, 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 in all outward respects, 
two people may appear to be very similar in this life, sharing the same interests, sharing the same job, even sharing the same bed. But deep in the heart, one still loves the world and one genuinely believes in and loves Christ. And Jesus says here that one will be taken and the other will be left. And he could be saying there that one will be taken away into eternal salvation and the other will be left for eternal destruction. Or the other way around, he could be saying one will be taken away to eternal destruction and one will be left for eternal salvation. I tend to think it's that latter one there, but it doesn't really matter. The, the, the point that Jesus is making, the, po- the point there is that, that judgment on the day when he returns will be swift and it will be severe, dividing even between co-workers and marriages. Philip Ryken says, quote, people who share almost the same situation in life will find themselves on opposite sides of eternity. One ends up in heaven while the other goes to hell. End quote. And man, the passage then concludes in verse 37, Jesus' disciples blurting out this question, where, Lord? And it's extremely difficult to know exactly what the disciples are asking there. Where, Lord? But Jesus responds with what is really a pretty gruesome and, and pretty cryptic sounding uh, statement about a corpse and vultures. Where, where the corpse is or, or where, the, where the body is or where the dead body is, the, the vultures, the birds of prey will gather. And, and most commentators believe that Jesus is talking there about the judgment of lost believers. Wherever the corpse is, wherever the, wherever the dead are, or, or wherever the spiritually dead are, the birds of prey will gather and devour. So the disciples may have been asking there where the lost unbelievers would be judged, or maybe they were asking where lost unbelievers would be taken away to be judged. I don't know. At the very least, I think Jesus has given us there a little taste of the gruesome nature of the final judgment for lost unbelievers, for those whose hearts are still in love with Sodom when Christ returns, those who, who, who don't truly trust in and love Christ. The birds of prey will gather and devour. I think it's a picture probably of eternal torment. A very, man, it's a very grim Really a very horrific picture, a horrific finality for all who are not ready for the return of Christ. And You know, it's very common for human beings to think about the end of the world. But I don't think we probably think about it enough. On most days, man, our, our minds are typically preoccupied with business as usual. And man, Jesus wants us to think about it. He he wants us to be prepared for it. And man, you're not going to get a lot of warnings when Jesus returns. No tornado warnings, tsunami warnings. Very sudden, very unexpected. Jesus wants us to be ready Will you be? Will you be? And, and maybe you're here today, you're a guest, you just came to visit today, and you don't know anything about this, and don't, I just ask you to consider it. Jesus says the end of the world is coming. He will return. And if that's true, then we need to be ready. He wants us to be ready. You know, when you kind of step back and look at this passage in its entirety, I I really think we hear from Jesus here one big overarching message, and, and, and here it is, I believe. Destruction is coming. 
flee. Flee the coming destruction. Run run to safety and, and run to safety now. And you know what the really good news is? There is a safe place for us to run today. And his name is Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, he lived, he died, he rose again so that people might be saved from destruction. Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the ark that saves people from a flood. Jesus is the high hill that saves people from fire and sulfur. And I think Jesus would say here today, run to me. Run to me now. Cling to me in faith. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Jesus will receive any, any sinner who comes to him in faith. Run to him, man. Cling to him in faith. Do it today. Do it now. And maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know what to think about these things. I just ask you to consider them. Because we're all getting older. We'll all die soon. And if these things are true, Man, please consider them and run to Christ and cling to Him in faith. Do it now. And please listen. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Man, it would be tragic to be almost saved, but not quite. Make sure that you make it all the way to Christ. A genuine faith in Christ, a heart that has truly turned away and renounced the things of this world, and renounced this world. Make sure that Christ is your true master, your true treasure, your true, your true love. Get all the way into that ark. Get all the way up on the high hill, and you'll be safe from destruction. And the end is coming. But in Christ, we don't need to fear it. May, may God help us to believe that the end is coming soon. And may, may God help us to run to Christ and hide ourselves in Christ. And man, may God help us to labor together to warn others so that they might also run to Christ and hide in Christ and find safety in Christ for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for your word. Just pray you give us hearts to believe it, to receive it. Thank you for passages like this, Lord. Very sober, warning-like passages. We believe they're good. We believe that is loving of you to put that in the Bible and to warn us. And I just pray now, Father, give us a heart of faith. I do pray, Father, for those who may have never considered these things, to pray, O oh Lord, you would help them to at least consider and to think about them and to wrestle with them a little bit. Father, I just ask that you give us faith to believe, faith to run to Christ. I thank you, Father, that you have sent a Savior to die for sinners. Not someone to die for good people, <laughs> because we're not good people. Thank you, Father, you sent a Savior to die for sinners. Pray you give us a heart to recognize that we're sinners. Give us hearts to believe that Jesus is there for us. Give us the faith to run to him and hide in him, I pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.